glad I. Thank you for visiting Crosslink Community Church. We are located in Terre Haute, Indiana. For more information, please visit us online at coccchurch.com. Let's listen to one of our Sunday morning messages. Well, good morning and welcome to Cross Lane. If you are visiting with us, we're glad that you have chosen to spend your morning with us. Um, I want to thank Michelle and the band again for, for uh, leading us in worship. Kyle will be back next week. Pray for him as he travels back. He and Stephanie and little Maddox will be uh, traveling this week, and, and we want to lift them up. Um, we're going to take a break from the prayer series, which I told you we would do, and uh, we're going to return for the third and final installment of the GPS series. And um, it's been an interesting series. You know, I, when, when we were talking about how to lead up to this offering, I, didn't, I wasn't really sure how to do it. And uh, so the only way I knew how to do it was to interrupt other series, and so that's what we've done. We'll, we'll get back to the prayer series next week. I want to talk about this offering that we're going to be collecting next week. We, we will collect two offerings next Sunday. We will collect our normal... Sunday offering, which, uh, you know, the weekly amount to do everything that we need to do, the, the weekly need is printed on the back of your bulletin. It's right in the neighborhood of $9,500. It's just a little over that, in fact. And I want to say something about that number. This church, and I probably don't do this enough, this church does an excellent job of, of giving to the to weekly budget. I don't have to talk an awful lot about money around here. When I do talk about money, you guys are very receptive. You're, you're willing to learn and listen. You're, you respond. You, you understand that um, it, it takes money to make things happen around here. I don't ever feel like, um, I know that some preachers just, they worry and worry about money at their church, and I, I, we just don't here. We, you, you have done a, a, an outstanding job of, um, of keeping up with the weekly budget. Um, in some ways, I don't like to put the weekly budget number in there because, um, or not so much the weekly budget number, but how much we've given each week because I don't want you to look at that and go, well, we did okay last week, so I don't need to do anything this week because that's not how you respond to God with an offering. The way you respond to God with an offering is when God says, I want you to give X amount, you just give that amount. It doesn't matter what was given last week or the week before or anything like that. It's just a matter of responding to God's voice. Um, and while we put that number in the update in the um, on the back of the bulletin every week to show you how much has been given, and I know some people look at that, and if we you know fall way short once in a while, and sometimes we do, and then you look at it other times and we go way over, don't get real caught up week to week in what our offering looks like. There are there are some Sundays we've got a lot of people gone on vacation. There are some Sundays we have a lot of visitors, and typically visitors don't give to our church and and to be real honest with you we don't really want visitors given to our church we want to support our ministries here and we want visitors to be able to come and just enjoy being with us without feeling a, a financial burden of any kind so don't don't look at that number week to week and go oh we didn't make it this week or well wow we did great last week what the elders and staff and i do is look at these numbers basically in three month blocks we look at how we're doing in three month segments and and that way we kind of can see trends. We can see, uh, really get a better picture of how we're doing and, and if, if there are adjustments that need to be made. And to be real honest with you, very, very seldom do we ever look at things and go, wow, we need to, we need to make an adjustment here because you do such a good job with your weekly giving. I, I'm in a lot of different churches. I know about a lot of different churches. And anytime I walk into one of those churches where they have the, the attendance and the offering on the wall, you know what I'm talking about? In the older churches, you'll see that. They have the attendance and the offering on the wall. I always pay attention to that. I always look at that number. And in my head, I'm doing the math, you know, trying to get the percentages to see. And it's just natural, I guess, for me to be a preacher at this church to compare how we do it uh, compared to other churches. And what I find is whenever I get the opportunity to do that, I'm always pleased. I always, whenever I get finished with my calculations, I'm always saying to myself, you know what, our church really is a, a very generous, our church gets it. Our church understands that it takes money to make things happen. Our church understands that we have a staff that has to be paid. Our church understands that we've got a lot of ministry irons in the fire and it takes money to make all those things go. And I don't have to spend a lot of time. Bill Hybels talks about uh, preachers and he says if your church doesn't have a lot of you know if, if your church struggles financially it's because you're not heating that value up and he, he rolled his bible up one time and he held his hand up and he said your bible is a blowtorch and you've got to use it 
to elevate the things in your church that need to be talked about. The, the honest truth is, I don't really feel like I need to talk an awful lot about money because we have grown to a point and we have matured to a point where you just respond weekly with your giving. I see people walk in here when they're going to be on vacation and put their offering check in before they go on vacation because they know they're not going to be here. That's maturity. Okay, that's, that, that's something that, that not, doesn't happen in an awful lot of churches. And because it happens around here, that weekly number is something, while we, we watch it and we pray about it, certainly, it's not something that we do an awful lot of worrying about because you do a great job of responding every single week with your offering. And I think that God blesses you as a result of that. Now, we're going to take that offering next week, and we expect that offering to be somewhere in the neighborhood of $9,500. But we've also been talking about this, this uh, GPS offering, getting ready for the work we want to do with the Aspen Group, and, and that offering, we're looking, we, the, the, the goal there is $61,000. I know that sounds like a lot of money. We're going to talk about that a little bit today. Um, I've known this day was coming for a long time. In fact, I've known this day was coming for months. And when you're the preacher and you know that you've got a sermon like today's sermon coming, the temptation is to allow that to just kind of ruin your whole day. I mean, is there anybody in here really who would like to trade places with me this morning and talk about a $61,000 offering next week? Anybody? Anybody. So, so it's, you know, it's, um, I've wondered for quite a while now how I was going to handle this day. What am I going to say? What's it, what is that day going to look like? Um, I, I'll be honest with you. I'm going to be transparent this morning. I felt a little bit of pressure as this day has, has kind of come my way. Typically on a Sunday morning, I am not the least bit nervous. And I can honestly tell you I'm not nervous this morning. And this is why. Because normally I have been. Normally when we're raising money, normally when we've got to talk about money, I get all worked up. I dread the week. But prior to it, I dread the Sunday coming because I'm thinking, man, I just don't want to do that. But this week has been different, and this is why. God talked to me this week, not audibly, but, but God has really spoken to me this week. And what I've heard God say is, Brett, it is not your job to talk anybody into giving money. Okay? If you see what we're, we're doing this morning and you look at me and you think, man, he's trying to talk us into giving money, you totally misunderstand what's going to happen this morning because it's not my style, nor is it the style of this church. We don't do that around here. We don't manipulate people, okay? And I'm not up here today to, to pluck at your heartstrings and make you, you know, do something next week that up until today you weren't planning to do. And my goal today isn't to have you walk out of here and say, well, I wasn't going to give anything, but since he put it like that, I reckon I'll give a little something. You know, that's, that's not the goal at all. Um, I realized two things this week. Number one, my job isn't to talk anybody into anything. We don't want to manipulate anybody. The, the second thing that, that God really kind of pointed out to me this week is this. I heard God say, Brett, this isn't a number that you picked out. This is the place that I have led you and the Cross Lane Community Church to. This is the place that I've led the elders to. This is a place that I've led the leadership to. This is a place that I've led this church to. You've come to this place and you've come to this offering and you've come to this number as a result of my leading you. This isn't, it's not like the elders and I sat around in a room somewhere and thought, well, how much money do we think we could raise? Well, $61,000 sounds like a, you know, a big, perfect number. We'll just pick that number. Not at all. We came to this number as a result of praying. We have met and met and talked and prayed and prayed about where God's leading us. And, and our prayer has just simply been, God, when you lead us to a place would you please give us enough courage and faith to take the steps with you as we go along on this journey? And so we've put all this before God. We've asked him to lead us, and we believe that he's done that. We really believe that he's done that. And so when you, when you hear that number, I, I hope you don't think in your head, man, that's a lot of money. I hope what you hear is, okay, this is the place God's led us to. So what are we going to do about it? So we're going to talk a little bit about it today, and I hope that it'll help you. I've got a, a really good lesson I think we'll... we'll even if, you, even if it means nothing to you relative to next week's um, offering, I think that what we're going to talk about today will just help you in life with other things that you may have going on. Now let me, before I get into this, if you've gone to this church very often you've, and you've seen me talk about money, you know that whenever I talk about money, I always have to talk to the visitors first. And here's what I need to say. Visitors, if you're new to us, if this is not your church home, if this isn't the place that, that you call home, if you don't look at me as your preacher, and if, if, you know, if, if you needed a pastor, you weren't going to come calling us, 
you're just checking us out today or you're here with a friend or you're from out of town or whatever, as I talk about this today, we don't ever expect visitors to participate in our offerings. When we collect an offering on Sunday morning, that is for people who call this place home, who worship here, and when they give their offering, it is an act of worship to say, Lord, I'm here, I'm with you, and I want to participate in this. Now, you may be a visitor here, and you may hear all this today, and God may speak to you and say, you know what, I know that Brett wasn't talking to you today, but I'm talking to you, and I want you to participate next week. That's fine. I'm not going to get in God's way, right? I'm not, I mean, I'm, not going to, I'm not going to argue with him. So if he says that to you, you probably ought to listen, but you just need to know from our standpoint, the visitors at this church, we don't really see this as something that you need to worry a whole lot about. This is something for the people who are locked and loaded here. This is for the people who call this place home, who eat, sleep, and breathe this place and, and love it uh, dearly, and, and I know that there are many of you that do that. So what is this? this? This is an invitation today, really, is what we're talking about. We're going to talk about an invitation today. This is an invitation to act and give in faith. It's an, act, it's a, it's an invitation to give toward fulfilling the mission statement of this church and to see to it that we are on target when it comes to our mission statement. And, and honestly, it's, a, it's an invitation for you to participate in something bigger than you and me. Um, I think what happens in our life is oftentimes we get involved in things and, and sometimes we look up and life gets a little boring. And sometimes we look up and life kind of loses its punch and it loses its flavor a little bit. And you start asking yourself questions like, what happened? I mean, what, what, why, what ha-? there's a song that uh, Trace Armstrong sings. He, sa- he says, I want to feel something. I don't know if you've ever heard that. I want to feel something. Well, sometimes Christians get to feel in that way. Sometimes in the church, it can just, you can just say to God, God, I want to feel something. And chances are good that if you don't feel anything anymore, it's because you're not leaning into God anymore. Chances are good that if you don't feel anything anymore, it's because you have not put yourself in a place where you've looked at God and said, God, this is, <laughs> I'm completely and wholly depending on you to make this thing happen because I've tried to do this myself and do it this way long enough. And what happens when I do that is the joy goes out of it. What happens when I do that is I don't feel anything anymore and I want to feel it again. And so when you lean into God, you, you participate really in something way bigger than you and way bigger than me. And that's really what we think uh, is the most important thing. So having said all that, let me ask you this question. What is, just think in your minds, what is the best invitation you've ever received? Just think about that. What's the best invitation you ever got in your life? Maybe there's two or three that, that are floating around in your head, things that you say, you know, that was a, that was a pretty good invitation. Um, typically, good things follow a, a good invitation. Well, let me just, I'll just give you a couple out of my own life that uh, have impacted my life, kind of not, some of them in major ways, some of them in serendipitous ways, but, but still have had some impact. One was when I was, uh, I graduated from high school, I'd gone to college, college wasn't working out so well for me, and um, I was in a period where I wasn't going to school, and my pastor and my youth pastor invited me to go to homecoming at Johnson Bible College. Middle of February, cold, dark, dank, it was just a the weather was awful that weekend, I remember. Um, and we went to Knoxville, Tennessee, and I spent three or four days with my pastor and youth pastor in a very intimate, very, I got to watch them up close and personal with their friends at the place they'd gone to school, and God was able to cast vision for me. And uh, my pastors were able to cast vision for me for what my life could be and what my life could be used for. And as I sat at Johnson Bible College and listened to preachers preach over me and challenge me, and listen to God talk to me, Uh, God talked to me about going into full-time ministry, which was something that I had kind of resisted until that point, and uh, my life has been radically different ever since, all because I said yes to an invitation. Yeah, I'll go with you on Tuesday to Johnson Bible College to see what that's all about. So that that was one. Uh, Another one, and this is really more of a serendipitous one, I love music, I'm very interested in how music gets made and recorded and things like that. And about a year and a half, two years ago, Jan Eglin called me and he said, Brett, I'm going to go to Bloomington, Indiana, to um, a a studio over there called Echo Park. And uh, I would like to invite you to come go with me and and watch. There's a band called Ten Story Relapse and they're they're mixing down an album and you might get to meet a couple of guys in the band and and I just, I want to go over there for an hour or so. Do you want to go with me? Well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, of course. 
So it was a Saturday, and it was, I didn't really have any plans that day, and, and uh, typically on Saturdays I try to be pretty quiet, but I wasn't going to pass up an invitation like that. I went, got to meet a couple of guys in the band, got to hear their music, um, got to spend a couple of good hours going and coming with Jan. We got to talk some. It was just a great, that was just a great day in my life. Just looking back on that day, it was a wonderful day in my life. I got to see things I've never seen before. Jan's a good friend of mine, and so got to spend time with Jan. It was just, a, you know, that was a, a good thing came from that invitation. Um, I was uh, going to go to Catalyst one time, and I got a, a we've gone every year since its inception, and so they kind of like us. We take a fairly good-sized group, and every year they call and make sure we're coming, and we have what they call a Catalyst Concierge, and the Catalyst Concierge called and said, hey, I have an invitation for you, and I said, okay, what is it? And it was just, just for me as the pastor. He said, I have a chance for you to have lunch with Andy Stanley. Some of you don't know who Andy Stanley is, and that's okay. Some of you do know who Andy Stanley is, and that's a big deal. If you know me, and you know who Andy Stanley is? You know that's a really big deal to me. Andy Stanley, I, I, I'm really convinced that the Crossland Community Church would not be what it is without Andy Stanley. Um, I've used a lot of his messages, and he's just a great preacher, and he's helped me a ton. But I had a chance to sit down and have lunch with Andy Stanley. So I, I go to Catalyst thinking, okay, I'm going to have lunch with Andy Stanley. Forget the fact that there's going to be 200 other pastors in the room. That doesn't matter. I'm having lunch with Andy Stanley. Well, I get down there, and I go to have lunch with Andy Stanley, and the concierge comes and says, hey, that room is full. Oh, bummer. So I wasn't going to get to have lunch with Andy, but I did get to ride the elevator down with him, got to meet him, shake his hand, talk to him a little bit. <laughs> so that was kind of nice. But I was told, I said, you know, Andy's room is full, but would you like to have lunch with um, Brian McLaren, who has written uh, several books, and, and some people really like him, some people really don't. Um, very smart guy, and a guy named John Eldridge who wrote the book Wild at Heart. Many of the men in this, in this church have read the book Wild at Heart. So I was going to get to go have lunch with those two. I happened to have Bennett with me, <clears throat> and Bennett was going to be able to go as well. So Bennett and I go have this great lunch, um, and we get this, I sat 10 feet away from Brian McLaren and got to listen to them talk about the church and postmodernism, and, and uh, it was just one of those experiences that I got to share with my son, and as a pastor, I appreciated it was just a good thing that came from an, a good invitation. It's the kind of thing that you want to do. And it's, it all happened because somebody said, hey, would you like to? Or, or do you, are you willing? Would you want to do that? And absolutely, the answer was absolutely. And then probably the best invitation of my life was when I was 10 years old at the First Church of Christ in Florence, Kentucky. L.D. Campbell preached a message, and at the end of that message, they sang, um, I Surrender All. And I gave my life to Christ at 10 years old. Knew exactly what I was doing. Uh, never once wavered. Uh, gave my life to Christ. Knew that it was going to radically change the rest of my life. I had a very godly mother who had poured into me and taught me and discipled me. And now it was time for me to uh, make my own decision for Christ. And I did that and through tears walked up and made the great confession. Was baptized that day. Man, what, what a difference that invitation made in my life. It just changed everything. Typically, good things follow an invitation. So next week, what I'm doing is I'm inviting you to participate in this offering. And I want you to think about that invitation. I want you to think about what it means to have been invited to participate in the GPS offering. We're going to talk a little bit about that this morning. I want us to talk this morning about an invitation that you find in Scripture. It's very familiar to most of us. If you've been in the, in the church for very long at all, this is not going to be an unfamiliar story to you. This is uh, Matthew chapter 14. If you have your Bible, turn there because hopefully you're going to learn some things today. Hopefully you're going to hear something and you're going to circle a couple of words in your, in your Bible this morning. You're going to walk out here and go, you know what? I've heard that story many times. There's a couple of things in there I had never considered before. I, I can tell you in preparation for this week, I've learned some things about this story I'd never heard before. Uh, just fascinating to me. This is the story of Peter when he walks on water when the disciples are out on the boat and they see Jesus, they get all worked up because they're not sure who Jesus is, and Peter gets an invitation from Jesus. I want us to look at that invitation and make some application, not just for the offering next week. This, this sermon's going to have application for you just in everyday life. Okay, there's probably circumstances in your life going on right now that some of the things we're going to talk about this morning, you're going to hear them, and you're going to say, you know what, that, that matters in my world right now. That, that applies directly to what I'm going through. But beyond that, I, I do want you to think about this in terms of our offering next week and your participation in it. 
Verse 22 of Matthew chapter 14. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into a boat and go on ahead of him to the other side. He's been doing some talking and teaching and discipling, and now he's sending his disciples away while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. So you see Jesus kind of getting everybody away from him, and he's going to go up, be by himself for a little bit, and he's going to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat was already a considerable distance from land. Okay, so it's out, it's out in the middle. And then we read, buffeted by waves because the wind went out to them. Uh, buffeted by the, w- the wind, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. You know, I've looked at this in several different translations this week, and so that's why I'm, I'm struggling there. Buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them. It's about three o'clock in the morning, okay? He went out to them walking on the lake. Just, they make that sound like, you know, everybody does that. They just, three o'clock, I'm going to take a stroll on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified, which that's a pretty big understatement to me. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. Verse 27, but Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. That's the invitation right there. That's Peter's invitation. Verse 29, come. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. Now, there's more to the story, and I'm sure most of you know the rest of the story. Peter gets out of the boat. He sees the, he sees the waves. He sinks down into the water. Jesus saves him, teaches him, which it's interesting. I learned this this week. Notice when you read that story, and this is a whole other sermon, but when Jesus teaches Peter, notice that the things, when he tells Peter that he's of little faith, he does that when Peter is away from the rest of the disciples. Okay, he's not in the boat where everybody else can hear him. When he does that, he's got Peter off by himself teaching him that, which I thought was just a fascinating little piece of insight. But he, he sinks down, Jesus raises him up, saves him, teaches him a little bit, then returns him to the boat. Man, this thing. I'm using a different microphone. It's kind of hurting my ear. But so, this morning, that I just adjusted bad? I'm sorry. This morning, I just want to consider half the story. I don't want us to get into what happens after Peter sinks into the water. I want to talk about what happens as Peter considers getting out of the boat this morning. He, you know, Jesus has just put the disciples out there. He sent them out. He's gone alone, off to, alone to pray. Um, when they get out on the water, the storm blows in. And this was no small storm. Verse 24, and I messed it up earlier. Buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. You look this up in the, New American, in the American Standard Version, it says the boat was distressed. Now, 3 o'clock in the morning, high seas, choppy water, probably pitch dark. Uh, wind is blowing like crazy. It's 3 o'clock in the morning. You're used to being with your Savior. He's nowhere around, or at least you think. I imagine more than just the boat was a little distressed. I imagine there were some guys in that boat that, were, that weren't too thrilled either. And about that time, along comes the only person who can help them. But there's two problems at this point. When Jesus comes along to help them, there's two problems. Number one, he's outside the boat. He's not in the boat where they are. He's outside the boat. Second thing, the disciples don't recognize him. In fact, the Bible tells us that they think that he's some kind of ghost and that they cried out in fear. One of the things that I think Matthew really wants us to know is this. It takes eyes of faith to recognize when Jesus is near. It takes eyes of faith to recognize when Jesus is near. Now you ask yourself, what is Jesus doing on the water at 3 o'clock in the morning? Uh, what's really interesting is if you go and look this up in Mark's gospel, and I can't remember what chapter, I think it's about Mark 6 or 7 around in there, you learn from Mark's gospel that Jesus, as he was walking, the, Mark's gospel says Jesus intended to pass by the boat. Think about that. He's out on the water. It's 3 o'clock in the morning. These guys are out in a boat. Jesus is out walking on water, but he's not walking to the boat. Mark tells us he's going to walk by the boat. I'm not really sure what Jesus is trying to do, but there, there are a couple of places other than this in Scripture where you see where God shows up, shows himself 
um, basically to make a profound appearance to get uh, someone's attention. You, you see it with, um, throughout history. There have been these, these temporary profound appearances that are designed to get somebody's attention and then to communicate a message to them. You see that with Moses when, when God puts him in the cleft of the, uh, the, the rock and, and he says, so my glory can pass by. Then, then you see it with Elijah when he's on the side of a mountain and the Bible says the glory of the Lord is going to pass by. God is trying to get their attention so that he can communicate a specific message to those people. Um, and then you see it again here with, with Peter. He, 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 he's passing by. He's, I don't understand why he wouldn't have been going to the boat. It's just one of the things that's, in fact, since I've read that, it's kind of been one of those things that just won't leave you alone. All I know is that with each of these, there's a pattern. God is trying to get people's attention. He's trying to make people understand that he's wanting to say something to them, that there's something that he wants to communicate, whether it was a burning bush or wind and fire or Jesus walking on water. God was trying to get people's attention. He wanted to to be able to have them hear what he had to say. And in each case, God is going to call them to something. In each case, the person felt afraid. And in each case, when the people realized they were in the presence of God, in each case, they said yes. They might have been afraid. They may not have known what was coming. They may not have have gotten it all figured out. But when they figured out that it was God who was doing the talking, they said yes to whatever it was that that God wanted to do. And God changed and empowered their life in ways that I don't think they ever dreamed or imagined. So when Jesus comes toward the disciples, it, it wasn't to do some cool magic trick. It wasn't Jesus showing off. There was a reason why Jesus was out on that water when he was the way he was. He had something he had to say. He wanted them to understand his divine presence and power were there, and he had something to say to them. Um, Only God can do such a thing. Only God works that way. Only God can get our attention in those kind of ways to really be able to get us to a point and move us to a place where maybe we we never would have gone on our own. Now let me at this point uh, say something else. It's 3 o'clock in the morning, <laughs> okay? It's in the middle of the night. I don't know if you've ever done this, but when we go to the beach, um, I, I have had a, a couple of times when I've been able to um, look out at the water from my balcony. Don't, I don't get that every time we go to Florida, but there have been a couple of times that we've actually had a, a hotel room right on the beach, and I could look out and see the water. And it's been late at night. And I've just sat there and watched water roll in from the pitch black. And once in a while you might see a boat going by with its light on. But I look out there and I think to myself, what would it be like to be stranded out in the middle of that big vast body of water with the seas rough and the wind blowing and nobody else around would it be a little frightening? And my answer is always, yeah, that would, that would scare me just a little bit. Now, you put add to that that it's 3 o'clock in the morning. You don't know what's going on under the boat, what kind of creepy crawly things are swimming around. You know, nobody wants to think like that. It's 3 o'clock in the morning. Matthew is teaching us that Jesus comes when we least expect it. I think that the last thing the disciples expected, (laughs) that's an understatement, was to look up at 3 o'clock in the morning and see Jesus walking on water. The last they saw him, he was heading up to a mountain, and he was going to go pray. 3 o'clock in the morning, I think the last thing they expect is Jesus. He shows up often when we least expect it. There were 12 disciples in that boat, and one of them is about to get out and walk on water. And you ask yourself the question, What is it that Peter recognized that the others didn't recognize? And the answer to that is, he recognized that God was present in a most unlikely place. When you recognize that God is in a very unlikely place, you will likely do things that other people who don't recognize that will not do. He's about to become a water walker. And the first thing you understand about a water walker is water walkers understand when they are in God's presence. Water walkers understand when they are in God's presence. One of the things I've, I've heard several times in the course of our uh, talking and, and trying to help people understand what we're doing with the Aspen Group and, and this offering and, and you know, how much money it is and all that kind of stuff is one of the things I've heard is this. Brett, 
don't you and the elders understand that this is a horrible time for our economy and this probably isn't the best time to be trying to raise money? Here's my answer to that. We did not pick this time. We did not pick this number. We did not pick these circumstances. We have prayed and prayed. We have yielded ourselves to God. We have talked about this stuff in front of God and said, God, please come in and take the reins and lead us, lead this church. And as we have done that, we believe we have been led to this place by God. We believe God picked this time. We believe God picked this number. We believe God picked the Aspen group. We believe God picked our church. And he said, this is what I want to happen for the Crosslane Community Church. We believe we are in God's presence. Water walkers always recognize God's presence. Second thing water walkers do is they are able to, to discern between faith and faithfulness. I'm sorry, faith and foolishness. They're able to discern between faith and foolishness. Listen to Peter. Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. Why does Matthew tell us that? Why doesn't Matthew tell us that Peter just jumped into the water? That he, he, you know, he didn't ask any questions. The minute he saw it was Jesus, I'm on the water. Why, why does Matthew include this question that, that uh, Peter asked G, of Jesus? Because this is not a story about risk-taking. If you read this story and you think, well, this is all about Peter taking a risk, then you miss the point of the story. The point of the story is Peter's obedience. The point of the story is, is that it's the responsibility of every one of us to figure out the difference between authentic calls of God on our life and just pure foolishness. It's the responsibility of every one of us to, to figure out when God is leading us to something and when God is speaking to us and when God's trying to get our attention, when God's trying to make a statement, and when some of what we're entertaining is just pure foolishness and, and we, we just need to leave it behind. We have a responsibility to do that. Jesus isn't looking for a thrill seeker here. Jesus isn't out looking for some guy that wants to climb mountains and do rock climbing and, you know, hang gliding and, and kiteboarding and all that kind of stuff. It's not like Jesus is wanting to see which one of his disciples is the most adventurous. It's not like Jesus is wanting to see which one of his disciples is the most extreme sportsman. What Jesus is looking for is someone who is willing to get out of the boat and trust him. He wants to see who is willing to be obedient to him. So he says, Peter says, Lord, if it's you, you command me and I'm going to get out of this boat. Today's message is not about me trying to massage your heart to get you to a place where next week you walk in here and stroke a big check. That's not, that's not what today's message is about at all. Today's message is as simple as this. If God is speaking to you and telling you what he wants out of you, and he's telling you what he wants you to give next week in response to this GPS offering, then it would be a good idea for you to give and to be obedient to that. Because if you're looking around here and you don't see that God is at work, if you're looking around here and you don't see the way that God moves, if you don't think that God is up to something in the way he's changed lives, in the way he's moved among us in this church, then you really should not participate in the offering. If you have not recognized God's presence in this place, you ought to turn me off right now. But, but here's what I think is going to happen next week. I think as you pray about what your responsibility is toward the GPS offering, when God starts to talk to you about whatever number it is that he's put on you that you're supposed to give next week, when you start thinking about, okay, I go to the Crosslink Community Church. What do I know about that place? I know that every Sunday when I go, I tend to feel God's presence. I know that every Sunday I go, I see little kids all over the place. I know that every Sunday I go, I see people that weren't there six months ago or eight months ago or ten months ago. I know that when I go there, I see people who've recently come to Christ. I know that when I go there, I feel God's presence in my own life. I know that when I go there, I have friends that love me, care about me, pray for me. And so if God is calling you to ignore all that and says, hey, you don't need to worry about the GPS offering, then you need to listen to God. But if you sit down and you start to think about and you pray about this GPS offering and God starts speaking to you and God says, you know what, this is your role, this is your part, this is the part I want you to play, it's like Peter in the boat. When God says come, you best be coming. When God says, hey, I want you to give this much, it's a good idea that you give that much. And like Peter, you should not be able to get out of the boat quick enough, which brings me to my last point. Water walkers get out of the boat. Water walkers get out of the boat. Peter gets out of the boat. Think about that. There is a storm raging. It's not like when they saw Jesus, all that stopped happening. That stuff was still going on. 
Waves are high. They're choppy. The wind is blowing like crazy. It's loud. It's noisy. Boat is rocking. The disciples are still a little terrified. Not a little, probably a lot. They think they've just seen a ghost. You know, it would be enough. Peter would be a hero if he got out of the boat and it was sunshine and the water was calm and there was no wind and everything was great. We, if, if the story happened that way, we would say, man, Peter was really showing a lot of faith to be able to get out of the boat the way he did. But that's not the circumstances. The circumstances were, it's middle of the night. It's, it's crazy outside, and these guys are petrified. And Peter, once he figured out that was Jesus, he could not get out of the boat quick enough. Put yourself in Peter's place for a second. The Lord's passing by. It's crazy outside. You're scared to death. What would you choose? The water or the boat? What would you choose? I mean, put yourself in the disciples' place, and you're one of the disciples. And you think about everything that's going on. The boat is safe. It's secure. You know, comfort is a relative term under these circumstances, but it's probably more comfortable in the boat than it is outside the boat. Outside the boat, the water's rough. The waves are high. The wind is strong. The storm is out there. At least you're in the boat. And if you get out, there's a chance you could sink. You know what I think? I think that there are some people this morning who are hearing something. I think more than that, I think that they're, they're hearing someone and they're telling them that there's something that they need to do. I think that, that if you've been praying about this GPS offering, I think if you've been thinking about it, God has been talking to you as we've approached next week. You and I, this is a really important thing for you to understand. You and I... <clears throat> were made for more than the avoidance of failure. You and I were made for more than the avoidance of failure. Let me ask you something. What is your boat? Your boat is whatever is your security and whatever you cling to other than God. So if you were going to take God out of the picture and you were going to lean into something else, or you were going to say that this thing or this person or this circumstance or whatever is really important to me this is where i get my security and my comfort that's your boat for some people it's their job for some people it's money for some people it's a relationship for some people it's it's a car or it's you know it's a possession of some kind what what is your boat your boat is whatever you are tempted to put your trust in other than god your boat is whatever pulls you away from discipleship you want to know what your boat is? Your fear will tell you what your boat is. If you've looked at next week's offering and you've said something like, man, I, I'm afraid if I am obedient to the number that God is really putting on me, I'm afraid I won't have enough. I'm afraid that that, that will leave me short. I, I'm afraid. And, and if you're thinking that way, I want you to hear the word afraid. Because if you're thinking that way, then money has become a boat for you. And one of the things that we learn in this story is that the hero of the story is the guy who gets out of the boat. The hero is the guy who looks around at his circumstances and says, that's not where I'm going to stay. Jesus is out there. I want to be in the presence of God. I want to respond to an invitation. Good things generally happen when you respond to an invitation. Let's talk about this offering for a little bit next week. I talked to you about six weeks ago. I told you that we were going to take an offering. I told you how much it would be. I told you what it was for. I gave you the what of the offering, but what I've saved until today is the why. I've really saved that until today. Today I'd like to talk briefly to you about the why. Here's what we know. We know that we are growing. We, we know that the Crossland Community Church is growing. In every possible way a church can grow, we are growing. Our adult ministries are growing. Our youth ministries are growing. Our outreach has grown. Our small groups have grown. Our, our staff has grown. Our influence in the community has grown. Our budget has grown. We, we have grown spiritually. In every way that a church can grow, we know that the Cross Lane Community Church is growing. That's one thing we know. Another thing we know is we know that our facilities are being taxed. Uh, our building is being used now more than ever before. There are times that it gets a little uncomfortable in here. Not, we're, we're not super hard-pressed in here. The problem is, is that 
if this is all you ever see and all you ever experience, you don't get to see little kids crammed into rooms in the back, probably way too many, more than we should have, or in junior worship where Ryan's in there pulling his hair out because he's got 40 kids in a room designed for 20. Um, if, if you're in here, once in a while, when we really swell up, it gets a little uncomfortable in here. Uh, there are times we struggle uh, to have more than two or three ministry groups meeting in our facilities at the same time, and uh, the, the longer we go, the more we see that kind of stuff happening. Um, a month ago, we had uh, a deal where we had a funeral dinner going on, and we had a, a bridal shower going on. I think there was something else going on that day. That is becoming more and more common as we do life together, and as we have new ministries and new ministry teams and new uh, groups that need to meet, we have lots of different people in the building all at the same time, which is a great problem to have because it means that our church is active and alive and there's a lot of stuff going on, but it also presents some problems for us in terms of facilities. We know that our facilities are being taxed. And then finally, we know that our facilities don't always fit our ministries. Now, I want to I'm gonna show you a video. This isn't going to be the best uh, illustration because when we took these pictures, what we realized is the pictures don't do justice to what we're trying to explain to you. Um, and, and this is done with a video that we're showing, and it takes a little bit of time for it to load. You will see that we use this facility in, in weird kind of ways. There are times that we play dodgeball in the foyer. <laughs> there are times that we've had Super Bowl parties in here. There are times that we've done uh, children's ministries in the back in the fellowship hall. Is it going to play? It is, maybe it's not going to play. We don't, we don't have to have it. There we go. Um, that's Vacation Bible School. If you've ever been here for Vacation Bible School, you know what a zoo it can be. Uh, happy kids. We're learning how to sing and dance. Um, this place just gets overrun with kids, which is a great problem to have. That is, um, I'm not, is that mother-daughter? What is that? We're eating in the foyer is what I want you to see there. I don't know how many kids are in the youth room, but they're all in a circle. Ryan seems to have some control, which I'm told is not always the case in that room. Um, but they, they look like they're behaved right now. They don't have him tied up anyway. That was our ministry fair a couple of weeks ago or a couple of months ago. That's the Super Bowl party, and the kids are all over the place for the Super Bowl party. We have a ton of kids here for that night. There's another picture. That meets in here. We watch it on the big screen. Got food all over the place. I don't even want to know where that ball's going. I, I don't want to know how that ended up, but um, stuff like that happens in our foyer. I think that's the mother-daughter banquet right there, and that's happening in here. So you can see... We use this building all the time. We use different parts of this building, and there are times that we're trying to fit the building to ministries that it just shouldn't be that way. We do stuff in here in, in the foyer with our kids, and it's just um, it's not the way you want it done. But that's all we've got, and so we do the best we can with what we've been given, and uh, we try not to complain a whole lot about it. So, so those are the things that we know. Okay, We know we're growing. We know that our facilities are being taxed, and we know that there are times that the ministries don't necessarily fit the facilities, or I guess the best way to put it is the facilities don't always fit the ministries. That's what we know. Here's what we don't know. We don't know whether or not we need to build. We think we do. We, we, the elders have, have prayed about this and talked about this for a long time. This has been something that's not, you know, been entered into lightly. This has been a long time coming. We've talked an awful lot about um, you know, what the next steps are. We think a building is in our future, but we don't know that for sure. We want to talk to some people and get some really good advice and uh, talk to some professionals and find out. Uh, we think when it's all said and done that there's going to be a really strong sense that we need to build something, but right now we don't know that for sure. Uh, it could be that we just need to renovate something here. It could be that we just need to change the way we do something, and if that's what we're, we, we're instructed to do, we're probably going to listen to that. We don't know if indeed we do need to build what we would build. Um, we've wondered about several different types of facilities. I mean, goodness, if we could press the, you know, if, if life was a Coke machine and we could go get whatever we wanted, we'd press all the buttons. You know, we'd get an auditorium, we'd get a, a, a family life center, we'd have garages, we'd have all kinds of ministry facilities, but we can't do that. We don't know if we did decide to build exactly what it is that we need the most and, and you know, what it's going to cost us. Um, 
we, we really don't know at this point what makes the most sense for us. And so we want to consult with some people who can help us, some experts who can give us good advice. Uh, number three, what we don't know is even if we knew what to build, we don't know where is the best place to put it. I'm excited about the next step because it's going to give us a master plan. I'm excited about the next step because after the next step, there will not be a question where the next garage will go, where the, the drainage pond would be, where the next parking lot would go, where if we were going to add a building 10 years from now, where that building might go. A master plan is going to help us immensely, and that's just one of the things we're going to get out of it. But, but it's going to address one of the things that we don't know, and that is uh, where do we put things as we decide to, to build them. Number four, we don't know how ready we are to build. And what I mean by that is they're going to come in and they're going to look at, at our leadership. They're going to look at me. They're going to put me under the microscope. And they're going to try and figure out if I have what it takes to lead us through a building program. They're going to look at our ministries and decide whether or not our ministries can support the kind of buildings that we're talking about. They're going to uh, come in and they're going to look at our financial uh, portfolio. And they're going to decide what they're going to help us to understand whether or not we can financially undertake uh, a building, and if we could, how much building can we build, and how feasible is it for us to be able to do that? Those are some of the things that we don't know. So we're getting help. We're talking to professionals and experts, and and that's why we're doing it. So to be ready to give next week, here's what here's what you need to know about you and about me. Here's what we need to be ready to give next week. Recognize that God uh, is giving us growth and that he has led us to this place. If you recognize that, if you recognize that God has led us to this place and God is present here, then you're not going to have any trouble giving next week. The second thing is that you need to be able to discern between faith and foolishness. Recognize that we're not talking about doing anything crazy. This is a very measured step in a process where down the line it could get really, really expensive. $61,000 sounds like a lot of money until you start talking about millions of dollars to build things. And I mean, I hear that number, and I hear that word millions, and I go, oh my goodness. I mean, before we can ever do any of that, we've got to spend a little bit of money now to figure out, are we really ready to do this? And so it's about discerning between faith and foolishness. We don't believe this is foolish. We believe we've been led here by God. God doesn't lead us into foolish things. God leads us into faith things. God leads us into big things. God leads us into things that we can't do by ourselves. God says, look, if you're interested in doing church by yourself and making it all happen by yourself, you go right ahead. If you don't need my help, I'll take my hands off of it. We don't want God to do that. What we're saying is, God, we want to do things that require your help because we want to lean into you. So if we're discerning between faith and foolishness, we recognize this is a faith step we'll give next week. Number three, if we... Uh, we will be ready to give when we're ready to get out of our boat, when we're ready to look at our finances and say, you know what, maybe I've looked at this in terms that I'm not supposed to. Maybe I've looked at my finances in a way that they've been too near and dear to me. Maybe they mean too much to me. Maybe God is calling me to a place where he wants me, it's my turn to get out of the boat. And like Peter, when he extends the invitation, I can't get out of the boat fast enough. I hope when you come to the point next week, and as you think and pray about this this week, I hope you think about yourself as a water walker. I hope you think about yourself in terms of looking for God's presence, discerning between faith and foolishness, and then you finally get to a place where you say, you know what, I'm ready to get out of the boat. Yes, it's probably safer inside the boat, but I just want to remind you, Peter was the hero in this story, and Peter does not stay in the boat. Peter gets out. And then I would, I would just say this in closing. I'd rather be on the water with Jesus. Choppy seas, high wind, uncertain, not knowing what's going to happen next. And even with the possibility of failure, I would rather be there than be in a boat where it looks safe and you feel comfortable and God is not. Now ask yourself a question. Which place do you want to be? you want to be where God is, even though it looks a little uncertain and even though it looks a little scary? Or do you want to be where it doesn't look all that scary, but God is not? I want to tell you, if you're in a place that's not all that scary and you know God's not there, it should scare you to death. This is a church 
that over the course of the last several years has reached an unbelievable amount of people for Christ. We have influence now in the school system next door. We have influence with kids in our youth ministry. It's just unbelievable some of the things that happen there. There are stories. I wish you could hear the stories that get told to me on a pretty regular basis. I wish you could read some of the emails I get that are very, very personal, and I, I would not be allowed to read them here, but I get stories and emails all the time from people who tell me, Brett, you just don't know what that meant to me. You just don't know what the church has done for me. You just don't know how the church's generosity or the church's faith or the church's willingness to step out has made a difference in my life. I wish you could see those stories because if you could see those stories, you would understand that God is in this place. And when God calls us and leads us somewhere, we can't look at God and say, no, we're not going to do it. We're not going. It's our responsibility. It's our responsibility to recognize God's presence, discern between faith and foolishness, and then to get out of the boat. I hope you'll do that with me next week. Let's pray together. Father, Peter is a hero to us. Um, Peter got a lot of things wrong in his life, and, and man, he's, we look so much like him in so much of what we do. He was an impulsive guy. He little, little coarse, little crass maybe sometimes, kind of rough. But man, did he have a heart for you. Man, did he want to live life to the fullest in front of you. Boy, did he want to please God. Father, that's what we want. We want to please you. Um, these steps you're, you're uh, leading us in right now, if we're honest, it's a little scary. Uh, this number next week, it's a big number. God, I, I pray that we would all remember that it's your number. You don't lead us to stuff to make us look silly. You lead us to stuff to show us how faithful you are. And so, Lord, as we undertake to uh, collect an offering for you next week, we, we pray over that offering. I pray, Lord, that your faithfulness would show up. I pray that, that uh, the obedience of us as a people will show up. I pray that we will be responsive to what you call us to. And, Lord, if we do that, that's, that's all you're asking of us, that we would just be obedient to you. And so, Father, this morning I pray over that offering. And I pray even now in faith, knowing that, that uh, your will is going to be accomplished. You are going to get done what you want done. I pray, Lord, that we are a part of it. And I pray that we are able to participate in a way that pleases you. Father, we love you. Uh, help us, Lord, to be people, disciples, who are willing to get out of the boat when we realize it's you. Lord, we love you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thanks for visiting. We hope you've been encouraged. Please feel free to visit us online at clcchurch.com.